This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum! Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So when we face the daunting challenge of upping our game when it comes to congregational evangelism, it is a big challenge, but it begins with small steps. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us for part three of our series on evangelism, we'll be talking about the basic steps for congregations to take. Dr. Ken Sherb, he has a PhD in church history from Ohio State University. He's Director of Evangelism, Missions, Stewardship, and Human Care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, formerly served as a theology professor at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and as an assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Ken, welcome back. Hey, Todd, all set and raring to go here. At the congregational level, can Christian congregations underestimate their city-set-on-a-hill status, the light that they can shine? Well, they sure can. And I'm glad you use the metaphor of light. You remember that kid's song, This Little Gospel Light of Mine? It comes, of course, from what Jesus said in Matthew 5, that Christians are the light of the world and that our light is to shine and not be hidden. That's very simple and yet quite profound. And I would suggest that there are simple things, relatively speaking anyway, that our churches can do to shine the light of Christ, and those can make a really profound impact, and that's what we're really going to focus on today. Take us into this a bit theological, if we could. When we talk about being the light of the world, what lies there in the background? Now, Todd, this connects back to something that we mentioned last time, being taken out from under the sway of the devil and the world and death and put squarely by Christ under his gracious and saving lordship. Colossians 1 says, We thank the Father who made us fit to share the believer's inheritance in the light. He rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has rescued us from darkness. Now, Todd, when you enter a darkened room, you can't see. And so things are unknown. Jesus said the person who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. But in Christ, God has given us light. Like the psalmist said, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. But worse than rendering things just simply unknown, darkness makes things dangerous. In the dark, you might trip, you might fall. But God rescues our feet from stumbling to walk before him in the light of life, according to Psalm 56. And then the worst danger of all in the darkness, the most terrible thing that can happen there is death. I mean, you can kill yourself in the dark or get killed. 
Isaiah prophesied, and Matthew quoted him in Matthew chapter 4, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. For those sitting in the land of the shadow of death, a light has risen. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So how do we relate that to the Jesus famous saying, I am the light of the world? We cannot comprehend what it means for us, or for that matter, Todd, in, in this conversation especially, for our congregations to be the light of the world, unless we really get the point of what Jesus was saying when he said he himself is the light of the world. As we say in the Creed, and very truly, he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Now, St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts for the purpose of revealing the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. A couple of verses right before that, Paul had referred to Christ as the image of God. And that's what he is. He is the Father's shining face turned toward us in a person. And moreover, a person who has become one of us, fully human. He who has seen him has seen the Father. John said, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. In Christ is wrapped up all the Father's love and grace and truth, and all that is there when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And the wonders do not cease just with that. Because he doesn't simply make that statement. The light of the world now turns around and says to his disciples, says to his church, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. Isaiah, already in the Old Testament, had told God's people, arise, shine, for your light has come. Well, the Lord, the Messiah, the light has come. The glory of God shines on us. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not put it out, said St. John. Now, Todd, this sin-darkened world is a place where confusion and danger and death just run rampant. And we have no light of our own to shed on this terrible situation. Our light comes by reflection. It's totally from him, because he's the light of the world. Jesus, that's what he said, I am the light of the world. Only because Christ our Lord is the light of the world can the church, can your congregation or my congregation be the light of the world. And yet, in him we are. God's baptized people show his own love and grace and truth. We show it in deeds and the church is sent to show it in words, gracious words that come from the light of the world. And amazingly, these words remain words of light and life also when we speak them. We could get paralyzed by the magnitude of that particular challenge, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. And that's why I want to dwell today on you know, relatively simple steps, simple things that churches can do in evangelism. And I imagine, Todd, you put it that way because you know how it can go with any number of things in life. I mean, you may face a long and perhaps important list of things to do, 
and it can look so long and bulk so large in its significance that (laughs) you just freeze. And you might not even get the first thing on that list done, even if it's a relatively simple thing. And then, well, inertia sets in, and it gets harder and harder to see anything done, anything at all. Some years ago, Todd, one of the vice presidents of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Dr. Robert Sauer, told me that he thought that nothing, absolutely nothing, was better for the evangelistic attitude of a parish pastor than actually getting out there and engaging in evangelism and seeing the Lord reach some lost soul through, well, your efforts. Bob Sauer said that will light a fire for evangelism in the belly of a pastor like nothing else. And today, I guess I want to say something similar about and to Christian congregations. Begin, begin, you know, by beginning. Do some things that are right under your nose, some relatively simple things, some things that lie right at hand, and see what happens. And in any case, remember that you are the light of the world, regardless of what the results may be that you see. You are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. What kind of simple things do you have in mind? First of all, think about people who visit your church, who come to your church services. And they may come to a Sunday morning service. They may come to a wedding there or a funeral or an extraordinary service like a midweek Lenten service or Advent service or a Christmas service or something like that. Think about the people who come and visit your church services. My vicarage congregation admittedly had an unusual situation. We used to get, on the average, 10 first-time visitors every single Sunday. Now, not all visitors are prospects for you, like they weren't all for us at our church there. Not all visitors are unchurched people themselves, but some of them are. And in our case, we found out about half of our visitors were non-churched people. Often in evangelism, we ask ourselves, what would be good ways to just sort of get the gospel before non-churched people? Well, when they visit our churches, these folks have placed themselves right there. I mean, they've come into our midst. They're right under our noses. So it makes every bit of sense to do all that we can to follow up with them. Compared to other evangelistic tasks, that's a relatively simple thing to do. So let's do it. Another step to take is with adult information classes or adult catechism. Most Lutheran churches have these and offer these, and I want to talk about those also before we're done here. Dr. Ken Sherb is our guest. It's part three of our series with him on evangelism, some basic steps for congregations to take. We'll talk about some follow-up with people who actually go to the service next. There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. 
deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio is a downtown church with members from over 40 cities around Columbus. Our attendees receive God's gifts in word and sacrament through the use of the historic liturgy, lectionary, and hymns. The Divine Service with Communion is celebrated every Sunday at 8 and 1030 and also Wednesdays at 7. Learn more at zionlcms.org. That's zionlcms.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. The radio voice of the Lutheran faith for the 21st century. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethany Lutheran, Fairview Heights, Illinois. Emmaus Lutheran, South Bend, Indiana. Grace Lutheran, Rochester, Minnesota. Emmanuel Lutheran, Manchester, New Hampshire. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Brookings, South Dakota. Peace Lutheran, Glidden, Iowa. Reformation Lutheran, Hillsboro, Oregon. St. John Lutheran, Strongsville, Ohio. St. Paul Lutheran, Unionville, Michigan. And Trinity Lutheran, Valonia, Indiana. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are having a conversation with Dr. Ken Sherb on the basic steps a congregation can take in improving evangelistic outreach, part three of our series on evangelism with Ken. Ken, how can congregations follow up with people who actually show up to the service? And these days, of course, there is more than one way of visiting a service. Some people visit not in person, but they visit virtually, online. Well, if you put your services online, I would like to encourage you not to stop. I know some people look at the number of people who are still, after COVID, staying home, wearing their slippers, drinking a cup of coffee, and viewing the church service online, and they say, oh, we got to quit this because that's the only way we're going to get these people back. I would say there's other ways we should be thinking about getting those people back. It seems to me we're better off with more of God's Word available online than less of it. And furthermore, putting your church service online helps folks who are unfamiliar 
with Lutheran church services in general, and maybe your congregation in particular, to get a look at what it seems to be like in a non-threatening way. So don't be afraid for your church service online to look like church. Now, your online church visitors might seem to be the most challenging of all for you to follow up on, and that's because they never do set foot physically into the building. So I'll start with them. If you're live streaming your church service, you can assign someone, that's somebody other than the pastor, to be a kind of a host and to put into the chat feature various comments that welcome viewers and invite their questions and other responses and that person can capture the names of those who are viewing, and a bit later, some analysis can be done. I mean, who among the visitors were your own shut-ins, or friends or relatives of your members who are going to church themselves, maybe even in some other state? And then, see, you can concentrate on the remaining viewers, and they may well be unchurched. What would you say to congregations who don't live stream, but they have maybe service recordings on YouTube or someplace else? Well, some congregations may actually find this procedure preferable, in part because you can delay posting the video. So, see, the online service is not available live. It won't maybe be available until Sunday afternoon, maybe Sunday evening, and that might help to keep some people from using it as a substitute for going to church. But the real key to obtaining viewer contact information with this kind of situation is to get them to contact you. They'll probably do it by email, maybe a text message. Remember, even though people often forget this, the video that you post does not have to consist strictly of the service itself. All the service, nothing but the service, and nothing more than the service. I mean, you can add some things to that video that people may or may not see or hear in church. So on the video, one thing you can do is to offer a giveaway item to the people who are watching online. Now, this need not be an expensive thing. It could be like the PDF of a What About pamphlet or maybe a link to another sermon or a Bible study session on a particular topic. If somebody contacts you and you give them the giveaway item, well, to give them the giveaway item, you've got to be able to contact them back so you get their contact information. Another idea, you can invite viewers online to ask you questions and go ahead and answer the questions on the video after the next week's service. You could even make this a part of the Sunday morning experience. You could take a moment, in other words, after the service, after the benediction, and just answer a viewer question or two in front of the entire congregation. That way the people in church hear that question and answer also, and all of that can be, of course, captured on the video. Or you can give viewers a choice of two questions that you suggest and tell them you'll answer one of these the next week and you invite them to vote for which question they want you to answer and you can always save the losing question and answer it too later on or you can ask some light-hearted question maybe provide a few multiple choice style answers and invite viewers to vote for the answer that they think is best Tell them you'll give the correct answer the next week. Some people who will not respond to anything else might just respond to this. And then, of course, you have contact information. What you're really trying to do by gathering all this information is to develop, well, 
an electronic guest book of sorts, similar to the physical guest book you might have there in church. And now here's a big point. Like that physical guest book, the contact information you gather is only good if you actually use it. In this case, somebody in the congregation probably needs to be coordinating the electronic visitor follow-up. And by the way, we have on the Central Illinois District website a guide for inviting response to a non-interactive online church service, and we'll put a link to that page on the Issues Etc. website. How about uh, following up on visitors who are physically visiting church? Well, this is maybe a little bit more familiar to all of us, but once again, it starts with getting the visitor contact information. Maybe your church has a guest book and greeters instructed to get people to sign the guest book. In my mind, that's the most important thing greeters can do. Or it could be people register their attendance at your church in some other way. I have heard that some of our churches have found that people seem reluctant to provide contact information when they're there as visitors. And in that case, well, you might resort to some of the things that I was just talking about with respect to the online visitors. You can offer a giveaway to your in-person visitors, or you can provide them an opportunity to get some question answered. But do it in such a way that they've got to reach out to you perhaps electronically, by email or something, and then you get their contact information. And then, of course, you do have to be sure to hold up your end of whatever deal you have made. I mean, if you're offering a giveaway, well, give them the giveaway. If you're going to answer questions, well, answer their questions. And that, by the way, gives you a built-in reason to contact them back. Now, Todd, in that same survey of Central Illinois District pastors that I was describing last week when we talked, this is a survey from earlier this year, we did ask also about the ways that congregations in this district reach out to their non-church visitors. So what did you find? Well, there's no one particular method of follow-up that was being used by more than half of the churches for which we had responses. In fact, most churches use maybe one to three of the methods that I'm about to list. Almost half of them use only one or two of these methods. And over a quarter say that they're not using any of these methods. I'm guessing they're not following up on their visitors at all. Now, Todd, I would really suggest that there is room for improvement here especially for our non-churched church visitors. If they're coming to us right under our noses, we can do more than just one or two or zero things to indicate interest in them and to follow up on them. So the items that we had listed in our survey were letter via U.S. mail, email message, telephone call, text message, personal visit from a layperson, personal visit from a pastor. Among those, which was used more than the others? Well, the most common follow-up method in 40% of our responses was a telephone call. And that strikes me as potentially a good way to start because the interactivity of the phone call, unlike an email or something, can help you to determine in pretty short order whether a person really is unchurched. I mean, my vicarage congregation had all those visitors 
So follow-up there started with a telephone call from a member of the evangelism committee, and in a short call, he could get a little background information on the people and slot them, if necessary, for future follow-up. What other follow-up methods were used frequently? 36% said that their churches sent a letter in the mail. Now, that can be an expensive thing these days with rising postal rates, but it can be a very good way to go. I mean, with so much communication being done electronically these days, there is something striking and maybe even refreshing when a person actually gets a letter in the mail. And along with the letter you send, you can include other information about the church and what it teaches. And it can be particularly appealing if somebody includes a thoughtful, handwritten and legible P.S. at the bottom of the letter. The eye of the reader will be drawn to that. Now, almost as many responses as in that case, not 36% this time, but 35 said that non-churched visitors would receive a personal visit from the pastor. And a few responses also added, as appropriate or requested. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're discussing basic steps for congregations in evangelism with Dr. Ken Sherb. Speaking of evangelism, Luther Academy serves Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. For more information on the worldwide mission work of Luther Academy, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we follow up with non-church people who visit the service. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum! Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Truth-Centered Mission Outreach. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Grace of God, the Church's Music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, 
preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come. There is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Ken Sherb is our guest. We're talking with him about basic steps congregations can take to up their game on evangelism. Ken, before the break, you were talking about a survey that you had done and what pastors were doing to follow up with unchurched people who had actually visited their services. Tell us a little bit more about that. Visitor cards, of course, at some churches have a place to mark that says, I would like the pastor to visit. And pastors should certainly try to call on those who check that box. But how about pastors making every effort to visit all the non-churched visitors, even the ones who didn't go out of their way to ask for a visit from him? In most cases, my thought, which others may disagree with, is that these follow-up visits by the pastor should be done by appointment, not cold calls, in other words, unless the pastor is going to make what is well, designed to be a very brief visit in which he may just stand in the doorway or on the porch, not even try to enter the house. Maybe he's bringing a gift from the church to drop off very quickly and have a short conversation. But see, Todd, others besides the pastor can do that kind of thing. And by the way, the sooner that sort of a brief visit is made, people have found the better. I know some churches that have lay volunteers who do that kind of visiting on Sunday afternoons or Monday evenings at the latest. Their efforts can pave the way for a visit by the pastor maybe later in the week. Or if the pastor ends up making that first visit himself, well, while he's there, he can ask when he might be able to come back for a longer talk. On the whole, we found that follow-up calls by lay people do not seem to be too much in vogue, at least not around here. In our survey, only 4% of the responses indicated that non-church visitors to church services would receive a call from a layperson. Now, Todd, this seems to me to be a place where lay people can certainly do more, especially those initial quickie kinds of visits. In fact, that can be a very good place to draw people more deeply into personal evangelism. I mean, here you have a well-defined, maybe delimited role centering on a particular assignment like uh, delivering a gift. It's not terribly hard to do, and they can do it together with somebody else. And after people have done this kind of thing for a while, well, you might just find that they're ready for more. And they may themselves do more spontaneously for evangelism within their own circle of family and friends and acquaintances. Don't underestimate how even small, somewhat formal efforts in an evangelistic vein 
like this delivering a gift after church, can stimulate people to engage in their own informal efforts with people like family and friends. Did you find churches sending anyone to engage in other kinds of personal evangelism visits to non-church people? Well, in the main, Todd, no. Some 70% of our responses said no. Now, a few mentioned that their churches get people to volunteer in hospitals or with the homeless or with international students at a university. I don't know any details because the survey didn't ask for them about what goes on in those settings. But yeah, in the main, personal evangelism visits with the non-churched seem to be to those who have attended church services, whether those visits are being made by pastors, and in most cases they are being made by pastors, or anyone else. And I suppose, Todd, that really doesn't surprise me, but I think of what my friend Carl Fakincher says. I don't know if he still does this, but at the time he told me about this, he was going out with a group of people from his church. Every Monday night, they would go out and they would make visits. And usually they were visits, oh, sometimes to people who had visited church services, but they'd also visit people whose names were suggested by church members, friends of theirs who were ill, people they knew who had questions. That still is a viable kind of visiting. At least if you ask the people in that congregation, they'd tell you that it is. You also wanted to talk about adult instruction or adult catechism. Yeah, in Lutheran circles, I think we're fairly familiar with this kind of study. It takes maybe different forms in different places, but it's usually basically a special Bible class that lasts a number of weeks, preferably not just three or four weeks, or still worse, just a single Saturday seminar. But in this class, you lay out the Christian faith for newcomers. It's a concentrated look at the basics. And of course, Luther said, well, what are the basic things a Christian needs to know? He needs to know who he is before God, that he is a sinner. He needs to know what God has done to save him and how he can respond to his God. Ten Commandments, Creed, Lord's Prayer. He also throws in the, in the Catechism particular ways that God especially brings his love and grace in Christ to us. Baptism, absolution, the Lord's Supper. And even if classes like this are not strictly formatted around that outline, they do generally include all those things. Classes like these are really a strength, I think, of Lutheran congregations, and especially Missouri Synod congregations. In fact, when I was coming here to central Illinois to assume my duties, one of our veteran seminary professors in St. Louis really urged me to impress upon pastors and congregations the great value of these kinds of instruction classes. They're valuable both for the newcomer, that's pretty obvious, but also for longtime church members who want to review themselves. Now, these classes I think pastors usually like. They find them fun to teach, partly because you get down to brass tacks with people pretty quickly. And many of our congregations have a strong sense of how valuable these classes are. I know when I was in the parish, I used to make it a point to teach two such classes every year. And over 15 years there in Moberly, Missouri, so potentially 30 times teaching this class, I only found myself three or four times with absolutely nobody. Therefore, no class because no students. In other words, there always seemed to be at least someone to teach. 
Our survey last fall showed that these classes are being offered in our churches here in central Illinois an average of 1.6 times a year. So in some cases, there's two such classes at a church, and in some cases, only one such class. But again, this is another relatively simple thing that congregations can do in the cause of evangelism. Outside pastor conducting that class, what do you mean? Well, lay people can help, and they can help in a variety of ways. They can attend the class. Not everybody every time, but sort of taking turns. Or a particular member can attend the class accompanying a specific new person who is taking it that time. By doing this kind of thing, lay people have an opportunity to meet and get to know the new folks, all the new folks who are taking the class. And in some ways, this can be a real beginning for assimilation or incorporation of the new people into a congregation, starting even before they formally become members. What else can lay people do in churches that would help assist with this adult catechesis? Well, they can help to publicize each new class, certainly. In our survey, we asked how congregations deliberately get the word out about their adult instruction class to non-churched people. Now, the top two answers, and I smile when I say this, and these were the only two that scored more than 50%, by the way, were church bulletin and church newsletter. Now, of course, the church bulletin and the church newsletter is going to be seen by your church members much more than anybody else, including non-churched people. So these churches are obviously wanting their members to extend the invitation to non-churched folks. And that became very explicit in the third place response we got, which was person-to-person invitations by church members. Now, that's all well and good, but churches can also help their members in this regard. They can make available maybe publicity materials, things that people can hand to other people or share online. If your church maintains a prospect list, you can send the publicity materials to everybody on that list. And churches can also give folks a taste of what the adult catechism class will be like. A number of years ago, Todd, you may remember that you and I did a series of interviews reflecting an adult catechism study called Myth or Faith by Dr. Don Defner. Now, this class summarizes the Christian faith by holding up to scrutiny some 70 myths or misconceptions that people have about it. So you find out what the Bible says is wrong about the myths, and in the process, you learn what the Bible really does say about things like Christians become angels when they die. See, that one provides an opportunity for people to learn about angels, about what it means to be human, about death, and about heaven. Now, by your permission, Todd, and also that of Concordia Publishing House, the audio of all our Myth or Faith interviews is available, and it's been edited myth by myth on the Central Illinois District website. So people can go on there And listen, for example, to find out whether Christians become angels. And while they're there, they can check out some of the other myths and listen to the answers to them. Now, here's the thing. You can tell people, hey, we have a class at our church that talks about this kind of stuff all the time. Here's when the next one's going to start. So we're going to provide on the Issues Etc. website a link to a little half sheet that lists all the myths in the Myth or Faith course And that half sheet can really be a good tool 
that you can use to invite people to listen to the Myth or Faith audio, and that can in turn be a springboard that will bring them to your next adult catechism class at your church. Dr. Ken Cherub is our guest, Director of Evangelism and Missions, Stewardship and Human Care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're getting some basic congregational steps in evangelism. We'll summarize next. You're invited to October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. October Fiesta features authentic Mexican cuisine, desserts from Cruda Bakery, a festive mariachi band, and of course, plenty of Mexican beverages. Tickets are $25. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in greater St. Louis. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. October Fiesta is sponsored in part by Ernst Heating and Cooling, Vallow Floor Coverings, Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Baker Construction, Bunker Hill Chiropractic, and Lutheran Public Radio. October Fiesta, Friday night, September 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org. One Lord one faith, one baptism. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Church's Music from the Second Century Shepherd of tender youth Guiding in love The Sixth Century The Twelfth Century The 16th century. The 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. When we read the Old Testament's historical books, we read them properly only when we read them as a record of God's determination to break into history in the person of Jesus Christ. The historical books teach us that all that happened in ancient Israel among its judges, kings, priests, prophets, and leaders was for the sake of the promised salvation through the Messiah, whose day was nearing 
as the story progressed through time. That's from the Issues Etc., a book of the month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, and you can also order it from Concordia Publishing House. Just give them a call, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for the Messianic Message. We're going through our series on evangelism with Dr. Ken Sherb. In about 10 minutes, we'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. So, Ken, how would you summarize what we've said so far today? Well, we've been talking today mostly about pretty basic steps that congregations can take in evangelism, steps that more or less lie right under our noses, with people and opportunities that are likewise right under our noses. We take these steps to shine the light of Christ, the one in whom is wrapped up all of God the Father's love and grace and truth. We shine as the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world, and we are in him. Now, the first basic step that we've been talking about is to follow up with unchurched people who attend one or another of our church services. These, after all, are people who have come to us, and we do well to keep track of them and extend to them the love of Christ. The other basic step that we mentioned was to go out of our way to make sure we welcome people into our church's adult catechism class or adult instruction class. Now, Todd, let me turn this around and give you and our listeners a few true or false statements to consider. True or false. When it comes to being light in a sin-darkened world, the church is more like the moon than like the sun. True. Now, maybe you had to think about that one a little bit. The point is that we have no light of our own. We reflect light. The church is the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world, and he has brought us into his marvelous light. And this point applies to what we've said in the earlier segments of this series, too. We've been made alive in Christ, therefore we bring life through God's word to a world choked by death. The church has been placed under the gracious lordship of Christ, so we are caught up into the work of extending his lordship to others, his ongoing work of seeking and saving the lost. Another item for you, true or false. Unless you live stream your service, there is no way you can find out who your online church visitors may be. False. If the service is video archived for viewing later, you can still get contact information on the people watching, entice them into contacting you. Now, we gave a number of suggestions on how to do that, and the Issues Etc. website will offer a link to a more detailed guide. True or false? Broadly speaking, churches are following up with in-person visitors in every way possible. False. Churches usually do something, like as not, but still not in the majority of the cases that I know about from our survey. That is by way of a telephone call. Other fairly common ways are letters in the mail and personal visits, usually from the pastor, but not necessarily for every non-churched visitor. But we all could be doing more. And one more, Todd, true or false. You can give people a sample of adult catechism class before they actually attend it. 
true. The Issues Etc. website will give you a link also to audio of our old set of Issues Etc. interviews on the Myth or Faith course, and there people can sample the kind of things that an adult instruction class covers. We do have a couple stories from our listeners today, don't we? Yeah, these items have started to come in, and I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that. The stories I'm going to tell today come from listeners who wrote to TalkBack at IssuesETC.org. That's TalkBack at IssuesETC.org. Or you can telephone your story into the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. That's 618-223-8382. And by the way, these work best, these stories, for our purposes, if they give a blow-by-blow description, as it were, of an evangelistic conversation. You know, I said, then he said, then I said. Well, I think the people who emailed these stories we're telling today want to remain anonymous. So with all the emails, this is what I'm going to do. If a message came from a man, I'm just going to refer to him as Adam in telling his story. And if the story came from a woman, I will call her Eve in every case. So tell us the first story. Eve writes that she was working at a new company. And at this new company, after she'd been there for a while, a man in the lunchroom observed that, well, she did not employ what he called expletives. In fact, he said that when he saw her coming in for lunch, he stopped using the expletives himself. And he wondered, Why didn't she use them? Well, Eve said she was a Lutheran Christian, so she felt no need to include such words in her verbal repertoire. Now, also at this company, a relatively small concern, it seems, the employer would invite the staff into her office for a kind of happy hour after work. Eve points out that she drank Pepsi at these happy hours. On Mondays, people would typically talk about what they'd done over the weekend. Eve always mentioned that her family went to church, and she saved that point for very last. And a few months later, the man from the lunchroom apparently remembered. He asked if she went to church every Sunday, and she said, I do. Now, Eve was perhaps working up to a point of explicit gospel witness, especially with that man, but the company went bankrupt and all the employees dispersed. But still, Todd, I find a couple of things in this story that might be suggestive for all of us. First, Eve's daily conduct as a Christian made her stand out. I mean, that one man was really impressed, impressed enough about the difference that he saw in her that he asked her about it. I mean, this kind of thing really does happen. And second, Eve made a point of mentioning that she went to church. I know some people who go out of their way when they meet new folks for the first time to call attention to the fact that they are Christians. And often that can be by way of a passing reference to the fact that you go to church or you just went to church. If you do that when you first meet somebody new for the first time, that's good. Because what you're doing is sabotaging the efforts that the devil may make later on to keep you quiet about Christ. See, if you meet people and say nothing about being a Christian, then after you've known them maybe for months, you might be reluctant to say anything about Jesus because you haven't said anything up till then. So mark yourself as a Christian early on. You never know what lines of conversation that might open up. 
What's the second story? Well, here's one from another Eve. She has an elderly Jewish friend who made something clear herself when Eve first met her. The elderly lady said, I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. Despite that, Eve writes that they have had many in-depth conversations about faith over the years, especially when that woman's husband of 52 years died. And these discussions have included Eve saying what she believes. The older woman remains Jewish. She doesn't attend temple, but she's still Jewish. She has other Christian friends besides Eve, and she has resented them for trying to convert her. But Eve told her, I cannot change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So Eve writes, Our friendship continues, as do my prayers for her. Todd, that last point about prayer is huge. It's important to pray for those to whom you witness or those to whom you would like to witness. But also, note what Eve said to her friend about the Holy Spirit converting. And that's true, of course. Not only did this take the pressure off of Eve, it's also taken the pressure off of Eve's friendship with this woman. What's up next? Next time, we're going to talk about preaching and teaching for evangelism. Dr. Ken Sherb has a Ph.D. in church history from Ohio State University. He's director of evangelism and missions, stewardship, and human care for the Central Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He formerly served as a theology professor at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and as an assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You'll find links to our Myth or Faith audio series and to inviting response to a non-interactive online church service on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Ken, thanks. Thank you, Todd. When we come back, Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us. We continue our series, Kids Have Questions. Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is what we believe and confess at Grace Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. And we apply this verse through the reverent, joyful, and traditional divine service. If you live in Rochester or are visiting, 
We invite you to join us for the Divine Service on Sunday at 9 a.m. or Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our website is gracebythelake.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com lutheracademy.com